Welcome to the Orange County Catholic Radio Show on AM 1000 in Orange and San Diego counties and on AM 930 in Los Angeles County. Each week, we bring you compelling conversation with church leaders and laity, talking about the things going on in our diocese and discussing the important issues that impact the world around us. We're coming to you through the good offices of Relevant Radio from our studios on the campus of Christ Cathedral. Cathedral in Garden Grove, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. Here now to introduce our guest and today's topic is your host, Rick Howick. And welcome to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today is James Day. And James comes to us from all the way across the eighth floor here on the Tower of Hope in the beautiful studio that is EWTN's West Coast studio. James comes to us from there and has decided to write a book, and we're going to talk about that. But before we get started, James, I'd like you to please lead us in a brief word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Lord, uh, please give us words of wisdom to spread your message of truth, hope, and love in this ever-changing world, to know that you are the rock, the foundation of our life, the cornerstone of buildings and of our faith, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, James, you are the West Coast Operations Manager for EWTN Studio. Right. Here on the West Coast. Yeah. What kinds of things happen in that studio over there for those who are not regular watchers of EWTN? Sure. Well, you know, it's getting to the point where I'm asked that question, Rick, and I just say, well, it's really secretive. I work for the CIA. (laughs) 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 And they don't know what to say. But it's basically putting live television on the air, among them Father Spitzer's Universe, our weekly show in English, but we also do a lot of Spanish productions as well. Okay, that makes sense. Um Recently, we covered live the dedication of Christ Cathedral for Ibutian. I was there. I got to see uh, the inside of it. Uh, I was out on the outside at the beginning and at the end to interview some of the bishops going That's by. right. And that was a beautiful day. Saw you out there and getting some sound bites. And, uh, and I also, sunshine. Yeah, it was, a, it, was, <laughs> it was a warm day. And I got uh, did the uh, pre- I produced the preview show that we did for the cathedral. So I, we brought in some um, EWTN personalities from the East Coast, Brian Patrick and Matthew Bunsen. Uh, Bishop Van, Bishop Fryer, Father Christopher were some of our guests to uh, really show our audience who normally probably wouldn't be familiar with the cathedral what's been going on these last few years. It's such a unique story, transformation. Well, and that's really what this book is about. So we're going to get into your book, A Place for Christ Forever, uh, in just a couple of moments. But this book grew out of this entire ministry and the transition in ministry that brought you here as well. So we're going to get to your story in just a moment, but your studios are here on the campus of Christ Cathedral. You're here on the eighth floor with us. We're around the corner from you in our our radio uh, booth. And you've been here for the last couple of years, and EWTN has been able to use that in order to bring West Coast theological figures throughout the world by using that studio, by using that this ministry and doing so. This is all part of that whole Christ Cathedral transition. Yeah. How have you seen it? How has this transition affected EWTN? How has it affected you? I think EWTN is very happy to have a presence on the West Coast. But I think the place where it was chosen to, to plan its West Coast studio is really remarkable, profound, and in some ways providential. When you look at Reverend Schuler's historical journey in Orange County, 
and how he spread his message beyond the worshipers, the local worshipers of the Reformed Church in America and the Crystal Cathedral Ministries to the world through the Hour of Power broadcast here on the campus. We're really following in those footsteps. And in my research of uh, Reverend Schuler, and now we know uh, being part of this campus every day, we know that uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen was a big impact on Reverend Schuler, uh, the master of uh, apologetics on television and really setting the stage for uh, being unafraid of using media to, to spread the gospel. Dr. Schuler followed those footsteps, and EWTN is continuing that legacy, not only being here on campus in the footsteps of Dr. Schuler, but Mother Angelica, the foundress of EWTN, also someone who uh, basically conquered media and television in the same way that Dr. Schuler did. It's, it makes perfect sense in a way. This is, I hadn't really taken time to think of it that way, but you're absolutely right. I knew that Reverend Schuler was deeply influenced uh, by Bishop Sheen. And Bishop Sheen had been out here and actually preached from the pulpit at uh, at Reverend Schuler's ministries here. So it's, it is quite providential that an EWTN run by uh, Mother Angelica, God bless her soul, that it would have a presence here and be able to draw from it. So that's then essentially what your book is about. The book is called A Place for Christ Forever, Becoming Christ Cathedral. And it has a forward by uh, Cardinal Sarah. And uh, Cardinal Sarah, for those of you who don't know, he's an African cardinal and is absolutely a fantastic speaker and a, a great theologian. And then it also has a piece in it from uh, Bishop Van, who is, of course, our bishop here in the Diocese of Orange. Tell me a little bit, if someone were to pick up this book, what are they going to discover? Why would they want to pick up this book? I wrote this, uh, first of all, at the behest of the diocese. I was commissioned to use the old word of, uh, of an artist being commissioned to do a great work. Ooh, you look like Angelo. I'm, I'm humbly saying, <laughs> putting us on the same path, but, uh, but that's essentially what that was. So it was exciting. It was, it was an example to go back to that first question really quick about the idea of all of our ministries here on campus maybe rooted in media, the idea of being commissioned by the church to go out and and evangelize through the various ways in which our, our, our talents are called. So in a way, it's very exciting that we're re- hoping to renew and transform the concept of what it means to be a Catholic these days in a, w- a world in which religion isn't always something that people gravitate to. So here we are being commissioned to do great work. The diocese asked if I would um, help put a book together when they were thinking of the cathedral plans around the dedication and all the events that were going on around it. And uh, so I set out, we're not really knowing anything about cathedrals and why a cathedral was different than a church. So it was really a transformative process for me to understand, first off, how a cathedral goes all the way really back to the beginning, the foundation of Christianity. Well, then let's talk for a moment about that. Your book is going to give quite a bit of information to people who uh, have not had a chance to do a lot of research into cathedrals. And, of course, it's going to give a lot of information on this particular setting and the Diocese of Orange and how it has been able to both secure this setting for Christ's ministry and then to grow it so that it's now today fully operational where the the, the main building is, has been dedicated. You were talking just a moment ago about the nature of a cathedral. And how it's different from a church. How is it really different than just going to a parish, going to a church building? Yeah, the cathedral is the bishop's church. So if we think of uh, Rome, I think a lot of people would think of St. Peter's Basilica as maybe being the 
bishop's church, and the bishop, of course, of of, of Rome is the pope. Yeah, but it's a very pretty church there. Yeah, yeah, but it's not a it's not a cathedral. No, it's a basilica. It's a basilica, which so, is a whole other animal so, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just kind of keeps going. Uh, but you have to go a little further away from St. Peter's to the actual cathedral, which is St. John Lateran. People don't always realize that, but St. John Lateran is the seat of the Bishop of Rome. That's right. And Cardinal Sarah mentions that right at the opening of his forward. We were so blessed to, to get him. We'll probably get into that in a little bit. But, uh, but he mentions there is a, um, a plaque, uh, an inscription there at St. John Lateran that says, this is the head and mother of all churches of the world. So it's, it's basically saying the church, just like its bishop, is the anchor of, of, the, of Christ's church on earth. And this, that's a reminder that the cathedral there is is um, the center of uh, teaching, the center of the authority for, for the bishop of whatever diocese. So every diocese has a cathedral. Now, what's the difference between, I mean, that, that makes sense. That's different from a regular parish church. The regular parish church is where a priest in the diocese or brought in through the bishop from an order is entrusted to preach and to teach the people of the local area. What's the difference between a cathedral and a basilica? I know that this is a cathedral, and yet uh, what we have in Rome at uh, St. Peter's, yeah. it's a basilica. Right. What's a basilica? Well, a basilica is also a church, a functioning church, just like a cathedral, just like a parish. My reading of it is is that it's um, at the behest or, or choice, basically, of the Pope to raise a church to the status of a basilica. And actually, a great example, a very quick example that I would give is um, in 2006, when Pope Benedict XVI made his first pilgrimage outside Rome. It was a private pilgrimage just for a day to the tiny town of Manapello on the eastern coast of uh, Italy, of the Adriatic in Bari, the Abruzzi Mountains. And he visited a very small shrine, but it was a church um, to... Uh, venerate uh, an image of the holy face, uh, a veil of Veronica. Uh, some consider maybe it was the original or the prototype for all the others. And it was a, an incredibly moving experience for him who's often thought about seeking the face of God. And he put that uh, visually for us to see. But it was a, it's a really small chapel, basically. Two weeks after that trip, he raised that little chapel to a minor basilica. So he can do that at whatever he wants for whatever building. Whatever church. From what I understand as well, when a church has been raised to the level of basilica, it's then when a pope in the future comes and visits, that's considered to be a an acceptable place for a pope to go preach at. So it doesn't mean if the pope comes to your area and you happen to have a basilica there, the pope is going to be there. But it's it's a place where, generally speaking, the, the pope can speak at. So if the pope comes to uh, Washington, D.C., the basilica of the National Shrine there, uh, is a basilica, therefore the Pope would be expected, it would be expected the Pope would probably be speaking there at some point. And perhaps if we have another West Coast visit from a pontiff, our only mission here in Orange, in the Diocese of Orange, is San Juan Capistrano, which is a mission basilica. Which would mean that if Pope Francis came, that would be on his list of his uh, advisors to consider as a place to come and speak. That particular church is is good size, but it's not as large as you might want. So it, they might decide to raise another church at that time to love a basilica. So a basilica then is kind of a functional thing for oh, speaking engagements and for perhaps having a special character. But a cathedral is where the 
bishop hangs his hat, so to speak, although actually it's where he kind of sits his rump, I guess, uh, because it literally means the chair. That's right, the cathedra. In Latin, cathedra, the chair, where we get cathedral from in English. And that word cathedra, therefore, is literally where we get the word cathedral from. It it means throne or it means chair. So when you're looking up there and you see there's one chair that, even if the bishop's not there, no one else is going to sit in that chair except the bishop, unless he's designated someone else to sit in that chair, because that's his throne. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a real captivating image. I remember as a as a youth uh, back in Cleveland, Ohio, visiting the uh, Cathedral of St. John the Evangelist in downtown Cleveland and seeing um, that chair and kind of wondering... You know what that means. It's it's very awe-inspiring, um, and it also shows it. Also, it's also an invitation to not so much be intimidated by these images, as awesome as they are, but to maybe for parents to encourage their children that you can be part of. Re- you really you're part of two parishes. One is the one one in your hometown, but you should come to know your cathedral as a second home. This is where the father of your particular church, in this case the Diocese of Orange, that's where he resides, and therefore it's also. It's also yours because your parish is really a a second church to the bishop. Your priest is basically there in his place. And so you not only should get to know your own parish, but as you said, it would be great to get to know your own, your own cathedral. We're here talking today with James Day, who is the operations manager for EWTN. And we, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about the substance of the book that you've written here, A Place for Christ Forever, which has to do with Christ's cathedral. And we will be right back. Are you planning your summer staycation? Stay cool and enjoy Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel exhibition in the Cathedral Cultural Center on Christ Cathedral Campus. We're conveniently located near exits off the 5, 57, and 22 in Garden Grove, close to Disneyland but with plenty of free parking. Enjoy viewing each of Michelangelo's 34 frescoes in life-size, up-close, never-before-seen perspective. Explore this stunning artwork at your own pace and admire it from close-up that's physically impossible to achieve in the actual Sistine Chapel. Get your tickets now at SistineExhibit.com. Special pricing available for children, college students, military, seniors, and groups of 10 or more. That's SistineExhibit.com. from Trending with Tim Ray. Be sure to join us this week as we're talking about human rights issues and what are and are not human rights. We'll be talking about LGBTQ issues and we're joined by Father Tim Grumbach as we talk about friendship, silence, gaming and so much more. So be sure to join me for that and more on Trending with Tim Ray this Sunday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific here on Relevant Radio. And we're back coming to you high above the Tower of Hope in beautiful Garden Grove where Catholic faith is crystal clear at Christ Cathedral. With me today is James Day. And James, I want to thank you for coming in. James is from EWTN, and the studio for the West Coast is right around the corner from where we broadcast. And I want to thank you for walking around to be able to talk with us about your new book. Thank you. Which is A Place for Christ Forever which is Becoming Christ's Cathedral, and that was published by Sophia. It's available here directly at the bookstore and through the website here if people want to get it. Why would they want to get it? What are they going to run into when they when they open this book? How is it structured, and what did you do with it? 
We open with a fantastic forward by Cardinal Sarah. Cardinal Sarah uh, is the prefect for the Congregation of Divine Worship and the Sacraments in Rome. He's, uh, as you mentioned earlier, is a cardinal from uh, Guinea, and he is uh, really just uh, one of the kind of the powerhouses we have currently in the church. He's not only a, a powerhouse, but as you mentioned, he's focused. He's focused on the liturgy. So the idea of a cathedral is very important to him. So Precisely. What did he, what, how did he do his forward? What did he have to say? He mentions, uh, opens with talking about St. John Lateran as being the mother and head of all the churches of Rome, but he really spends most of his forward uh, walking us through what would go on in a dedication that transpired first for us on July 17, 2019 at Christ Cathedral, because it's very rare for Catholics today to experience a dedication of a cathedral. Most of these cathedrals are so old. Yeah, I have never seen one before. And I interviewed several of the bishops that were here. We had, I think, about 60 or so that were here from across the country. A lot of them from the West Coast, but some from Canada and from other areas. And I was uh, taken aback by how many bishops had never been to a cathedral dedication before. This was the first one for, I think, just about all of them. There have been several that talked to me about how when you dedicate a church, there are some similarities to it. But this was quite different in some ways, and they were discussing some of that. So Cardinal Sarah walks us through the very intricate details of what went on in dedication, and you were I mean, we were both around that day, and so we were able to catch all the, the fascinating aspects and rituals of a dedication. He explains that here in this opening. I think you people even got splashed with some of the oil that uh, fought, that the yeah. bishop was putting on that altar. We, we had so much oil out there that I, I think they're still trying to bop some of that up. That really captivated a lot of people. That it was did. front page of the Orange County Register, and a lot of people looked to that as uh, being a very moving moment, which was fantastic. Uh, then I do a very short preface following Cardinal Sarah's uh, introduction, and I wanted to tie in the burning of Notre Dame which happened on April 15, 2019, as a reminder that, you know, the way people were reacting to that to that tragedy of that building kind of collapsing, it was really the soul of not only Paris, but France, really. To me, it said things of things sacred, things of God still move people today to tears. And to remind us that there is still something of the other world amongst us that moves us. There was a church that burned down uh, just a few days ago in Texas that was from, it was built in 1895, and it was terribly tragic to see that. And the, the pictures, dramatic of the, of the whole thing, just in this tower of flames, and I understand there's very little left that was there. But still, it was a church. It wasn't a cathedral. Mm. And Notre Dame is the cathedral for Paris, and it represents over hundreds of years so much of the life blood of Paris and of France, because it's a cathedral, right, because it is where the bishop has his chair. That's right. And it's withstood uh, wars. It's withstood the French Revolution when uh, <clears throat> Rose Pierre and those folks tried to change it into a temple of reason. And, you know, so it's still there. And so, you know, I, it actually was more hopeful than it was sad that we can't, we will rebuild. The book is is then uh, structured into uh, seven sections. We have an introduction which reminds us why we why the diocese chose Christ. It's uh, really, it's Christ's church, it's Christ's cathedral, you know, the cornerstone of the faith. And then from there we split it off into a historical journey of the purpose of cathedrals throughout history, highlighting some of the famous cathedrals throughout the world. We tell the story then, the very unique story of Robert Schuller's uh, vision for the Crystal Cathedral, the eventual transition 
and purchase of the property by the Diocese of Orange. And then my biggest chapter is Chapter 5, in which I speak of the very specific, the very unique, the very sacred elements that went into the transformation of the cathedral, the interior of the cathedral. I call that the Domus Dei, the house of God. Okay, because there was quite a bit of transformation. In fact, I think a number of people were almost dismayed at how long it took to transition Crystal Cathedral into Christ Cathedral. But it really did involve a lot of changes. People who were familiar with the old Crystal Cathedral who then walked into Christ Cathedral were shocked at at how different it was. Far more intimate in some ways, but yet focused and centered on the altar in a way that it really wasn't under the old construction. Frankly, there wasn't really an, an altar per se in the old construction. And a lot of people were looking at the outside saying, well, the outside hasn't changed. What, what is going on? This was 2011, 2012, 2013. Here we are at the end of this decade, and they're still working on it. So it was really the amount of uh, attention to detail that was put on the interior. What a lot of people don't know about the interior as well is that uh, there was no air conditioning in it, and there was no way to control the uh, the light coming through these beautiful panes of glass that are beautiful until you get to August. <laughs> we now have uh, these quadrifoils that they put up there that are able to do a couple of things, one being they can help control how much heat comes in and how much radiated energy comes in, but also they're going to help baffle some of the sound inside because the cathedral itself is a resonating chamber for the organ that's in the process now of being refitted back into the cathedral. That's the one thing that's not quite done yet. That's right. They have a temporary organ uh, that's being used, but the full organ that was actually built in Italy right. went back, at least parts of it did, went back to Italy to be refitted, so to speak, and now it's being brought back in and it's being reinstalled. That whole resonating chamber has been changed, and so it's been refitted acoustically. Part of me is waiting with anticipation for when they're going to open that part of this cathedral to the Spirit of God again with that uh, full resonating chamber echoing throughout. It'll be magnificent. A lot of attention is placed on these quatrefoils as a a kind of feat of engineering. Uh, 11,000 quatrefoils for each pane of glass, which is over 11,000 glass panes in the cathedral. But I did mention those quatrefoils in the book. I was taking it from a tradition of... uh, appearance of quatrefoils in other churches, not so much the way it is uniquely built for the cathedral, but more so as uh, designs and stonework. And the quatrefoil, what quatrefoil means, it's uh, called four leaves, so four parts. There's also uh, trefoils are are three-point arches in, in medieval art. This is four because there's four different, one panel, four leaves. But in the theological understanding of quatrefoils, they are references to the gospel writers, the four gospel writers of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Again, 11,000 are, as you mentioned there, Rick, uh, helping not only the uh, the organ, the acoustics, but also controlling the temperature. But they do have theological meanings as well. The cathedral itself uh, used to be called Crystal Cathedral, but it was never a cathedral then because Reverend Schuler was never a bishop. Uh, he comes from the Dutch Reformed tradition, which doesn't use bishops. What he designed was something that, um, when it was situated on this campus, made some sense to be able to buy this property and we were able to secure this property. What's some of the history behind the acquisition of this property and its transition 
prior to uh, us actually being able to use the building. Now, you may have known that the diocese was long planning on building a cathedral. They were plotting to spend about $100 million on it, as I recall, something like that. Some people were wondering, well, how come the... Plus, then, whatever it was going to cost to do everything else on it. Exactly. Well, there was plans for that, but it just made sense. Here is this iconic landmark, which happens to already be a church cathedral. Oh, you said not a cathedral. Yeah. So why not transition into that? That's exactly what the diocese did, as bold as it was. And this has several acres in Orange County that you can't find again. You can't find this piece of property again. Right. 34 acres right here at the uh, right at the Orange Crush of very uh, prominent freeways uh, a few miles south of Disneyland. Great Orange Circle is right down the street. So it's a real prominent place. Um, but, you know, it's also a central area for Orange Catholics and also for visitors to see that now when they arrive, this is the heart of uh, Orange, Catholic Orange. And uh, welcome. Come here and take a look. Wander around the campus. Take a look at the art, the architecture, the peaceful meditations, the fountains. All this was pre-planned by Schuler years ago without ever imagining that the Catholic Church, the Mother Church, as he's referred to it in the past, would now be its chief steward. So that was uh, at the end of the 2010 or so is when um, Crystal Cathedral Ministries, unfortunately, uh, ran into some financial hardships and went bankrupt. And so it ended up in bankruptcy court, the Diocese of Orange versus, well, I want to say versus, but Chapman University was the other bidder, actually outbidded the diocese. But it was Reverend Schuler who uh, urged uh, through a letter that was published in the, in the Los Angeles Times, that he wanted to keep this a, wor- a place of worship above all. That was his goal, and that was his dream, and sure enough, it is. So he was able, even though this was a, a lower bid, he was able to convince the bankruptcy court that it was in the, the interest of the community to have this slightly lower bid accepted in order to keep this in the family, so to speak, of Christianity. That's right. And his words to Father Christopher, the now rector of Christ Cathedral at the time of the transition, was, I built this for Christ, and I know with the Catholic Church it will be Christ forever, which was the basis for the phrase that the diocese has been using throughout the transformation, which is the title of the book, A Place for Christ Forever. I know that Robert Schuler maintained a very, very friendly relationship with the diocese throughout the entire process. He was very glad that it was going to stay with uh, within Christendom, so to speak. Yeah. And he had a very appreciative view of uh, Catholicism. Uh, and I know that not all Protestants do, but Robert Schuller was a leader amongst Protestants to be able to say, no, 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 wait, we're all part of the body of Christ. And the Catholics, um, they may be different from us in some ways, but their first love is Jesus Christ. We're all Christians together. He maintained an office on the 12th floor uh, up until... The, the day that he died, that was actually written into the agreement. And then after he died, that was allowed to then be taken over as well by the diocese. It was on the 12th floor because the 13th floor remains and still today is a chapel here on the on this Tower of Hope. Right. And I just came from Mass up there. Uh, they do use it for Mass, but then it converts back to being a non-Catholic. Ecumenical. Ecumenical, because that was what uh, Reverend Schuler wanted to have. That's right. So... This maintains his vision that it's meant to be not just for him and not just for the Catholics, but for all Christians everywhere, a center of of Christ, a center of Christian ministry. Yeah, it shows the incredible delicate balance 
that I think the diocese has struck in honoring the legacy, but while moving forward in celebrating the, the Eucharist and other elements of, of Catholic life here on the campus. And I think they really threaded the needle perfectly. And I think not only do the Bishop Van, Bishop Brown before him, and Father Christopher, the rector, need to be commended for such activity. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about what's in this book. You're listening to James Day. We're talking about A Place for Christ Forever, a book that documents this transition along with the hope into the future for the Christ Cathedral here in the Diocese of Orange. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio, and we will be right back. Calling Southern California educators. Are you looking for field trip ideas for the 2019-2020 academic year? From now through January 11, 2020, Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel Traveling Exhibit will be in Southern California in the Cultural Center on Christ Cathedral Campus in Orange County. Enjoy viewing each of Michelangelo's frescoes in life-size, up-close, never-before-seen perspective. Explore this stunning artwork at your own pace. Get your tickets now. Go to SistineExhibit.com. Special pricing available for groups. Book now before it's too late. Again, that's SistineExhibit.com. And awaken your curiosity to the innovative and unique interpretation of Michelangelo's timeless masterpiece. Wherever people enter the 35-acre Christ Cathedral campus, they are greeted by the splendor of our Catholic faith and nowhere more than by celebrating Sunday Mass in our newly dedicated Christ Cathedral or by touring Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel exhibition. Christ Cathedral Shop, located off the lobby in the Cathedral Cultural Center, offers inspirations of faith, from Catholic cards to crucifixes, mugs to mouse pads, and sacred art to statues of the saints. Visitors can choose from commemorative items and gifts from a wide array of Catholic Bibles, books, and all things Catholic. Make Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove your destination and visit our Christ Cathedral Shop. The shop with something for everyone. Experience Christ Cathedral today. Then share your memories and so much more. And welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, and with me today is James Day from EWTN, who is stationed out here and is involved with managing the studio, which is on the eighth floor of the Tower of Hope here on Christ Cathedral, in this wonderful arrangement of cooperation and collaboration between Alabama, where we have the major studios for WTN, and here on the West Coast, where we're able to work with Christ Cathedral in bringing um, the ministry of radio and television throughout the world. And I want to thank you, James, for coming in. There are many, many people who come to Orange County to visit for a number of reasons. Uh, Disneyland, of course, is one, along with several other tourist attractions. But we have many people that just come to to look at the cathedral who are non-Catholic, who are tourists that come around here. We, of course, have many Catholics who have not had a chance to come in and see the cathedral, and they need to, as you mentioned. This is your bishop's home, and it's therefore your home, too, if you're a Catholic of the Diocese of Orange. And therefore, it would be worthwhile for all Catholics to come on campus here. This is kind of a guidebook on how this came to be. So it kind of guides you through the historic process, if I'm reading it right, that uh, where the idea of Christ Cathedral came from, 
from the roots of Robert Schuller through the transition into becoming a Christ uh, Cathedral. And so for those people who come and visit, I would highly recommend that you go down to the bookstore. The bookstore is located right across from the Tower of Hope, diagonally across from the cathedral itself, although the cathedrals are that diamond shape, so defined, <laughs> defined diagonally, and you can get a copy of this. What what does it run? It's it's less than twenty dollars. Yeah, it's uh, the diocese tagged it at eighteen ninety five. So you can come in, pick this up, and it will help tell the story of how this became Christ Cathedral. This book not only documents what Robert Schuler did and how we went through some of the transitions that were involved here. It also talks about hope into the ministry of the future. What's the vision that Bishop Van brings to this campus for the use of Christ Cathedral in ministry? He wants, Bishop Van wants to reinvent the three transcendentals of being. Bishop Robert Barron has also got into the, uh, into these as well. And the three transcendentals being truth, beauty, and goodness. Truth and goodness have basically been dominated by the church throughout throughout its history without a problem. Beauty, on the other hand, may be coming up short, especially in these last centuries when secularism and uh, other forms of isms have I, taken over. I hear Baltazar coming out. <laughs> <laughs> not a bad thing. <laughs> uh, for those of you who are, who are not familiar with who uh, Bishop Robert Barron is, he used to be Father Robert Barron who uh, produced the show Catholicism which was a 10-part series, which you can still get and is still a beautiful introduction to Catholic faith in a way that is relevant uh, and is um, expansive. And if you have anybody that is interested in Catholic faith but doesn't know everything about it at at least a basic level, it's a great um, set of CDs or DVDs to be able to listen to. But Bishop Robert Barron has been very interested in Balthazar, whose focus as a theologian was on beauty. Yeah. He called Balthazar maybe the the one theologian from this century, from the last century, that people will still be reading in 500 years. I'm sure we can throw up some other names, uh, but that that's a serious consideration, you know, for that. I have his major work on my shelves at home. It takes up a whole shelf. <laughs> anyway, but as, but as far as that's concerned... The focus then for what Bishop Robert Barron is interested in that's being echoed by Bishop Van is that you can experience Christ not just in rational truth and not just in moral goodness and how we act, but in the beauty of, of a thing, the beauty of a place, the beauty of a song, the beauty of worship. That's right. And John Paul II had a great challenging line for uh, people who see the pursuit of beauty and art as isolated or separate from the pursuit of truth and goodness found in the church. The the idea of faith and reason uh, basically not being uh, connected. He said in his 1999 letter to artists, the church needs art. Does art need the church? And I think... uh, Ooh, what a great question. Right. And these 34 acres of fantastic architecture and other things are really challenging the modern mind who say, well, I, I don't really need that stuff. But we're constantly looking for reinvention or for refreshing elements of the sacred and the transcendent. And that's where, where art comes in. That's where beauty comes in. That's what this campus can do. And I think that's what the vision is for the bishop. This is a striking um, building. And the way that it has been refigured on the inside, I think, echoes, dare I say it, in a better way, the entire campus on the outside. 
what was done in the transition with the artwork that's in, with the layout that's in, with even the the geometry. When you walk in through the, the doors and you experience how the pews are laid out, it brings out the entire beauty of the geometry of the building, which is in this elongated diamond shape, which almost looks like a scar on the landscape, but a scar that's been healed over as if Christ has come and and this is Christianity here in the Southland, there are many scars that the church now has to deal with, especially in light of some of the things that have happened the last couple of decades. And this building stands beautifully as uh, not only a this healed mark on the landscape, but as you then walk through the doors and experience what is inside now, it echoes that in ways that I think are profound. Yeah, that's a really wonderful way of putting it into context. Uh, you know, I was thinking about it when I was writing the book. I was looking at uh, Google Maps and looking at the satellite imagery from up top. And, uh, you know, really the, the elongated, that kind of star-shaped, but also an elongated cross. I mean, the cathedrals and churches of the past were built in a Latin cross layout. So this this does actually evoke that uh, look in a, in a, in a twist a modern way but i was looking at it from google maps and it almost looked like this body of water like you couldn't really tell what this glass was you had to you know uh, push in and and then it becomes clear but uh but it's this notion of this out this oasis this here amidst this concrete you know sun-baked landscape that there is this really unique place and now we have the real presence inside it's interesting to me because if you go to the 13th floor and you experience the the mass that's up there, it's a the mass that they have in the middle of the day, uh, there's only usually the people that are from within the building that will go and attend, and not everyone has the chance to do it every day, so it's it's an intimate group of people up there. And then when you leave, you can look out and you can see Angel Stadium and you can see over to Honda Center and you can look over, there's Melrose Abbey, which is a uh, prominent uh, cemetery. You've got Disneyland in the background. You've got uh, neighborhoods that you can see. Some are well-to-do. Some are clearly not. And yet here in the middle of all of this is this beautiful green oasis that is open to everyone. Anyone can come in. And downstairs, off to the side, a whole room unto itself, uh, there's a chapel available for people to come and just spend time with the with the holy sacrament. Yeah, it's it's really remarkable. There's this moment where, in, in mass, as you know, at noon mass every every day, I have this image there in the book in the final chapter where I'm talking about the chapel in the sky, as it's called, from Robert Schuler's days. And you almost think when um, the priest, let's say in this case, it's usually Father Spitzer, who, who that was the priest who was saying mass today. <laughs> when he uh, hoists the host up during the consecration, it's almost as if he's blessing the whole of the Catholic Orange there in yeah. that moment, because it once was the tallest building in Orange County. And still today, because it is so tall, uh, you can see all over Orange County from up here. And you can see, therefore, um, just how beautiful this campus is and how useful it can be. I know that there's a, a great many plans to use this campus for conventions, to use this campus for different events to be able to bring Christ present in multiple ways, and the facilities are available to do that. There are some people who I think uh, would recognize at least one of the buildings. I know that the round building that's our cultural center has been used in movies, especially and most memorably uh, in the Star Trek uh, movies as the headquarters, I think, for Star Command or whatever they call that. 
Probably got the wrong. <laughs> no, it's yeah, Star Trek in the Darkness was where it was. But you know, it's going to be maybe supplanted next year because this summer, uh, LeBron James and company were on on set shooting <laughs> Space Jam Two. So they're going to use the buildings as well because the buildings are absolutely beautiful. But as you walk around the campus, you also realize there's open space here that's so usable, and the ability then to to host both in that cultural center, which has its own theater. Uh, we have an arboretum, which they do daily mass in, that's able to hold, if, if you wanted to, we've used that as our cathedral mass up until the dedication of the main building. This is a beautiful place to be able to have all sorts of different activities here. Yeah. I look forward to seeing it utilized. Yeah. I know that's part of the dream as well. Isn't it, it? Yeah, it's a metaphor, isn't it, for the opportunities we have in, in really engaging or reengaging people in our faith. And you were mentioning uh, the Catholicism series by Bishop Barron. He did a, a follow-up highlighting certain saints of, of history called pivotal players. Saints are holy figures because one of these people that he chose, especially in regards to beauty, which we were talking earlier, was Michelangelo. And he really, uh, to me, in terms of media, in terms of books, television, film, that is the only series I've seen in the last few years in history that I can even think of going back decades to where Michelangelo was a character in, in terms of his Catholicism, in terms of someone actually connecting the sacred art of that Michelangelo is known for with his faith, because he was a daily communicant. And I think that gets lost. And he's a great example in showing that that the blend between an artist and faith is something that's required and uh and encouraged, especially today. And we actually have, currently speaking of uh, exhibits and things, we have uh, at a, the Cultural Center Sistine Chapel exhibit going on right now through January. And so people who want to come see the Sistine Chapel up close, closer than you can see if you go to the actual Sistine Chapel, are beautiful reproductions, life-size reproductions of Michelangelo's art artistry yeah. that's there that they've got hanging in different sections of the cultural center. You know, I'm pleased. Just to, we're talking about opportunities. I just have to say, uh, not really a plug. I, it doesn't bother me if if anyone reads this or not, but I hope they do. But I've uh, have a series coming out through the Orange County Catholic newspaper, highlighting uh, various theological themes that Michelangelo is touching on in his artwork. For example, the uh, the flayed skin of Bartholomew that the, the filer is holding in the in the Last Judgment, right off Christ's left foot, is Michelangelo's self-portrait, and we go oh, wow. into why that is. And it was really a, a stripping of self, uh, his ego. Even though he was a, a powerful artist who had a huge ego, he was trying to strip himself of ego in deference to the greater good. So things like that. But it just shows what a campus can do in terms of bringing all sorts of people together. James, you were also talking very personal about Michelangelo, but I want to when we when we come back, I want to delve a little bit into how this project affected you. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. With me today is James Day from EWTN and our West Coast studio that's out here, and we will be right back. You heard Deacon Steve lately? Wow! I, I mean, it can't get any more important than that. Amen. My brothers and sisters, get excited! John 10.10 says, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. So far, so good. And how is this new year working out for you? The Holy Spirit is alive! Catch Empowered by the Spirit with Deacon Steve Greco. Sundays at 12 noon, right here on Relevant Radio. 
Hey, friends of Deacon Steve Greco and the Empowered by the Spirit radio show, it's not too late to join the team on a once-in-a-lifetime pilgrimage to Italy. September 19th through the 30th, and the theme is Shrines, Saints, and Miracles. Join the Spirit-Filled Hearts Ministry team, along with Father Mike Hannafin, Deacon Steve Greco, and his wife Marianne Greco, September 19th through the 30th. Time is short, so contact us right away to reserve your slot. The phone number is 949-981-0918. Again, that's 949-981-0918. Or just shoot us an email at marianne at spiritfilledhearts.org. That's Marianne with an E at spiritfilledhearts.org. Join us for this once-in-a-lifetime pilgrimage to Italy. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. James, before we go any further, I want to thank you for coming in and spending your time with us. You've taken the time to write this book. This is not your first book. And I want to thank you for sharing this with us and sharing the process. But I'm going to ask you to share a little bit more now about how this has affected you. I talked to you on the air a couple of years ago. It wasn't all that long ago, but I think about a year and a half ago when you wrote your first book, which was on Pope Benedict. And the writing of that book for you as someone who works in the broadcast industry, but for EWTN, I remember it was profound on you. So knowing that your projects have a tendency to draw you in, (laughs) what did this particular project, working on A Place for Christ Forever, what did this book do to you? I don't think I can separate my appreciation for sacred art, architecture, from the truth and the reality of what goes on inside the buildings. I, the fact that the builders of the medieval cathedrals, for instance, are for the most part anonymous. We don't know who they were, but look at what they gave us. They gave us out of this world structures that continue to, to boggle the mind. You know, the Tour de France was going on this past month in July, and you see these riders, you know, and going through laconic, bucolic fields, and there in every single town, no matter the size, what is most prominent is the church, whether it be a parish church or the cathedral. So things like that, you start seeing connections play out that really impacted me. And, uh, you know, I was writing this during a time when a lot of scandals were breaking again in the church. And uh, But I got to say, I, I feel more hopeful having come out of not only the experience of the book and the, and, and the writing process, but seeing the building come together as we have, all of us who are here almost every day, watching the 110 construction workers. You know, Bishop Van says something at the afterward. He says, um, echoing St. Francis's uh, vision of uh, when he, the Lord says, Francis, rebuild my church. He says, we know construction workers have built Christ Cathedral. But we also know that the church needs to rebuild. And I'm asking all of you, will you help rebuild this church? And I feel really part of wanting to contribute to that. There's an old story that I've told before. I don't even know who actually told it the first time, but it was about a bishop in the Middle Ages who was building a cathedral, and he went to visit the site. And there were construction workers who were digging a lot of the foundational work. And he walked up to one and he asked, so what are you doing? And the worker didn't know who it was, and he didn't even look behind him to see, and so didn't notice the robes and anything. And he said, what do you think I'm doing? I'm digging a ditch. And the bishop backed up and then 
walked down a little ways and saw another one and said the same thing to him. So what are you doing? And had a very similar physical response where the man didn't look back, but a very different verbal one. He said, I'm building a cathedral. And therein lies all the difference between the two men and what was going on. There are people who will do a job and just do the job, and they do it well. And then then there are those who engage the job because it's their ministry. It's what they do. And I know you well enough to know that when you engage these kinds of things, we we didn't talk about your background a whole lot. I know that you did study of art and you did study of literature and that you have – this is profound on you. So I go back and ask the question again, what has this meant to you? And what does this mean going forward for you? You have a, a unique view. You're here, as you said, almost every day. What are your hopes and dreams? And what do you think this is doing to you? Well, I really hope that this this is really, really reaffirm my faith. And to see how universal our faith is, is, is a really hopeful experience. To go from uh, this, you know, this was a megachurch. Uh, this, this was a providential transition. Our story goes back farther than that, you know, and so I really wanted to highlight the foundation of the faith, our ancestors in, in faith who maybe some built cathedrals, maybe some were martyrs, maybe some, you know, spread the word with we don't even know. But, you know, I think um, there's this um, popular uh, resurgence in, in ancestry these days. But we have ancestors in the faith, too. And uh, the cathedrals are these living living stones, a phrase that's used about speaking about cathedrals. That are of these walls could talk, and all these people the, the who have walked those stones, and um, some of whom are buried. Bishops' crypts are another part of the cathedral where the bishops are buried. They all have the same. For example, Sagrada Familia in Barcelona. Okay, it's not a cathedral, but it's it's Gaudi's you know towering masterpiece still under construction in Barcelona. So for those who are complaining about Christ Cathedral taking forever, they should go to Barcelona. But um. Probably 600 years. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's going to be done in about 20. <laughs> but uh, he was a daily communicant as well. And you can see that these artists, Michelangelo, Gaudi, they really believed in what they were doing. Gaudi had a little cot there at the at Sagrada Familia. He, he slept there. But, uh, you know, he died on the way. I think he was coming from church or going to church. He was a daily communicant going to St. Philip Neri in Barcelona to get to that. And he was hit by a car on the way by a tram on the way over. But anyway, you had to pass Barcelona's cathedral to get to that church. So he would have seen that every day. And that cathedral goes back to the 1100s. I mean, the rich history and, and the and the pride that people, that Catalonians have for Barcelona or that the, the Romans have for those churches, you know, or a little uh, St. Coleman's in County Cork in Ireland. I mean, these are... These are places that are just beyond structures. And I really hope we start, my hope and vision, my dream, as you asked, is is for us to maybe be renewed in saying we are Catholic first and foremost. You know, it's interesting to deal with the nature of Catholic faith. And without going too far into the weeds, when we look at how Christianity began in the Roman era, it was new, even though you, you've had other gods that have uh, supposedly come down in human form before. And we had other gods that supposedly had been uh, involved with human life before. Jesus Christ comes to us from eternity, from out there. And all of the other gods in Romanhood and all of the other morality and moral issues that get involved are all about the secular here and now. The gods of the Romans, the pagan gods of the Romans were all, they shared this world. Our God created this world. 
modern paganism, which in many ways are certain aspects of a lot of things that we, we're not going back to worshiping Zeus and Mars, but we have a lot of similarities in some of the things that are happening now in our morality system, especially. We're focused on the here and now. We're focused on our pleasures. We're focused on our life. And we've forgotten the otherworldly nature of, of what we're called to be as Christians. And to have a campus like this in the middle of a very congested area of the world where you've got the freeways that are all meeting and you've got everyone's busyness out here, you've got 30 acres and a beautiful building to be able, set of buildings to be able to come and relax and set and experience a little taste of that otherworldliness of Christ that's still present and still in our buildings and still in our beauty. Yes, uh, it's a compelling invitation to the divine. It's almost an inconvenient truth because you don't want something like this to be otherworldly. You want it to be functional or entertainment purpose or or some material or maybe why not turn this into a mall? If it had been Chapman University, it would have been a good thing, but it would not have been a great thing. This has the ability to be a great thing. With all due respect to Chapman, and I and I admire what what it does for the community and, and its students are fantastic. There is, I don't think you can look at this place now in hindsight and say there is no way this could have been other than what it is, which is a place for worship, a place for invitation, a place that welcomes. And it's an overused phrase, and it's sometimes politically driven, but in this case, I believe it's true. It's the idea of it welcomes everyone, and I say that because. We see those who show up here almost, you know, every day or every, every week. We see the different walks of life who come through who are relying on the church's great outreach and ministry to uh, some of the disenfranchised that we've talked about in the past who live homeless or, or struggling for trying to find bus passes or groceries for their children. That's sort of thing. we have outreach every week and even some when it's not scheduled they can show up and and anyone can and who's looking for help so uh, you know the fact that we and, and also i think we should also highlight if i can the um the incredible work that is done to maintain the beauty of this campus we talk about how great and be- beautiful this is but there's a lot of helping hands that go into this who are anonymous just like those anonymous medieval workers but they have names they have faces and in some ways they are our number one evangelizers and apologetics because people who show up on the campus the first person they ask is usually the first person they say, and it could be it could be one of our facilities workers. It could be our one of the custodians. They have to know exactly what's going on before they're sent off to the right direction. So in some ways, they can be either welcomed or turned back by the first person they encounter. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. With me today is James Day, who's written a book that is documenting the transition of Crystal Cathedral into Christ Cathedral. The book is called A Place for Christ Forever, Becoming Christ Cathedral. And again, it's written by James Day. You can get that through the Diocese of Orange, or you can come down here, which is what I would recommend. Go to our bookstore after you've had a chance to walk around the campus and experience it for yourself. James, I want to thank you for coming in today and for sharing um, a little bit of what this has meant for you to be able to write this book and to be able to share amongst your ministries, both at EWTN and here at the Diocese of Orange Thank you for spending some time with us. Thank you. Would you be so kind as to lead us all in a word of prayer? Sure. Dear Lord, thank you for this opportunity and for the beauty of these acres in this world that you have created. Help us in all that we do to make this a house of prayer for all the nations. Amen. 
Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Again, if you're interested in this book, you can contact uh, the Diocese of Orange through rcbo.org, I believe is what their website is for the diocese itself. If you're interested in sharing this uh, broadcast, you can get a podcast or listen to the podcast at occatholic.com. OC for Orange County Catholic, and then click on the radio tab. There are about eight productions we put on here, and click on there, and you'll be able to download the podcast. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and we'll see you again next week. from the tower. Beethoven 9 is all about brotherhood and humanity and people coming together. It's just such a perfect piece. If there ever was a time in our history that we all needed to come together, this is it. Christ Cathedral is the epitome of that. We have Chinese, Vietnamese, Spanish, English, Samoan, Filipino. (laughs) We've got it all right here on our Christ Cathedral campus every single Sunday. It's just amazing. Catch music from the tower with host John Romeri Saturday nights at 10 on Relevant Radio. 365 Days of Praise, a daily guide toward transformation through praise by Deacon Steve Greco. August 17, Nahum chapter 1 verse 9, the enemy shall not rise a second time. There are seasons for everything. I believe for a time, God will take his hand off of us and allow the enemy to win some battles. Why? Doesn't he always love us? It is important to remember, like any good father, Jesus wants to shape and mold us. He wants to cleanse us of our rebellion. While God is merciful, he is also just. He will heal our wounds and strengthen our paths when we repent and turn to him to take over our lives. The enemy will try to convince you that God has abandoned you. Don't believe it. God will never abandon you. By His blood, you are saved, and your bondage has been broken for all eternity. Indeed, the enemy will not win or rise again in your life when you trust Jesus. Lord, I praise and thank you for your blessings and grace against all evil. Do you ever fall into darkness and think God isn't there? Erase those thoughts from your mind. God the Father is greater than your thinking or feelings, and far greater than the evil one. Do you put your faith in Him and praise Him for His blessings and grace against evil? 365 Days of Praise, a daily guide toward transformation through praise, by Deacon Steve Greco. 365 Days of Praise is available now on Amazon Books or at spiritfilledhearts.org. That's spiritfilledhearts.org. Timory here from Trending with Timory. Be sure to join us this week as we're talking about human rights issues and what are and are not human rights. We'll be talking about LGBTQ issues. And we're joined by Father Tim Grumbach as we talk about friendship, silence, gaming, and so much more. So be sure to join me for that and more on Trending with Timory this Sunday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, here on Relevant Radio.